Hello lovely people, I hope you're having a lovely day. If not, I hope to make it a little bit better. This is The Candid Colleague, where we delve into mental health and well-being in the workplace, and we will often trickle into general well-being bits as well. I'm your host, Zoe Daracott, and I'll be talking with some wonderful people to gain an extensive stance on how we can build resilience, productivity, and comfort across our workforces starting with taking care of ourselves and each other. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Colleague. Our next guest is Gavin Sherratt, who is Managing Director of Software Development Consultancy, Mashbow, and founder of Creative Kitchen, a community brand that runs events and encourages knowledge sharing between agencies, businesses, and freelancers in the creative and digital sector. Gavin pushes the boundaries of new and emerging technologies to build innovative products and solutions. And as a proud recipient of the BEMA 100 2020 Big Chip Leadership Award in 2017, and a name check in Forbes magazine in 2015. Gavin works closely with clients and investment business partners to develop transformational, inclusive, and considered digital and business strategies. Gavin believes in the importance of a workspace where we are all free to talk openly and honestly, and he maintains this with the ongoing support from the team at the national mental health charity, Chasing the Stigma. Hello, Gavin. Uh, that was a bit of a mouthful, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it always is, but I get through it. <laughs> How are you today? How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be talking about the things that we've been doing and share some of the things that we do to look after ourselves. Good. I'm glad to have you on. Um, so I kind of start every episode with um, a brief intro into each guest, but I always like to give everyone a chance to kind of summarise themselves in their own words. Um, so essentially um just talk about you what got, what got you into your area of work and how you got to where you are now basically okay so i fell into the world of digital when i was at university when digital wasn't digital uh i wanted to be a graphic designer designing magazines and album covers mm-hmm. and we had a visitor to john moj university asking if anybody was interested in web design and web design didn't really exist 20 odd years ago yeah and i just said yes because do you like dance music i went yes <laughs> and then all of a sudden i was doing work placement with dj paul oakenfold who was like the biggest dj in the world at the time yeah and i learned the beginnings of my craft then and learned probably what not to do not what to do during that time <laughs> Lot, lots of mistakes were made <laughs> i had my first piece of national media coverage about my work which slagged it off. So it kind of it kind of put a bit of an element of learning about resilience mm-hmm. before actually going into the workplace. And I think that's something that's really missed. Like when young people leave education, they're not aware of resilience. They're not aware of actually you're going to get people attacking you left, right, and center. And it doesn't yeah. matter what you do, somebody will take a pop shot at you. And that taught me that quite quickly. And then from there, I learned quickly and it allowed me to get my first job. Uh, working in what was a startup agency in Liverpool at the time, which then which then grew to be a big agency and then got got acquired by Trinity Mirror during mm. the time after I just left there. But again, there's more resilient stories there. That time there was a good time, but it was also a dark time. Yeah. 
I got I got to the point where I didn't feel valued in the company I worked for, and the company blatantly showed that. And when I resigned, the company was actually acquired for six point five million pounds, oh. and I surrendered my shares back into the company as I left. So it was happening when I was there, but I wasn't told about it. Mm. And it was an amazing point that one of my clients at the time just kind of came across and valued me more, and mm. that just kind of picked me up. I was like. I was already down at the time. It was like I was aware that my mental health wasn't strong, and yeah. I took the decision to step away from something that I'd loved and created because I could feel myself slipping. Yeah. But the client just kind of put their arm around me and turned up at my house with loads of chocolate and wine and stuff like that. Just like <laughs> you'll you'll be fine. And yeah. They became a client of Mashbo. Oh, wow. different guys and I'm still actually working with the person that led those conversations who works at a different business now yeah so again you, you have to learn these things and again it's not just always about the tech it's about the relationships yeah and that's a big thing that I've kind of nurtured during my time as we created Mashbo in the 10 years that we've been doing this and like work as a software development consultancy doing multiple different things but, but learning and getting to know our clients Mm-hmm. and trust in our clients so our, tr- our clients trust us and you're not taught that you learn it yeah you kind of you, you learn it through doing and you learn it through mistakes you learn it through feeling shit <laughs> and it's it's how you come back from that and sometimes you need people around you that actually kind of give you that 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 hug yeah and society is probably allowing the hugs more virtually because obviously mm-hmm. you can't do too much hugging because of COVID. COVID. <laughs> but but people people are talking more. And I think yeah. that that kind of prompted me with like my whole career and the ethos around the business, mm-hmm. the way that I treat the people that work for me. Even if I have to sack somebody because they're not the right person, yeah. you still look after them. You still kind of go, right, so okay, okay, well, how can I help you to get your next job? Yeah. Uh, and we we had that during the pandemic where we had to make redundancies. But we did it in the right way is like instead yeah. of just like looking at okay how does mashbro survive and what does mashbro change is like kind of how do they pay their, their bills yeah and i think that's that's massively important so huge i i kind of always forget to go off and talk about the things that we do in regards to the skills and services because people will resonate towards us because hopefully they see that we're nice and we're actually genuine in what we're doing and yeah and how, and how we work because when we are working with clients we've, we've we're trusted with big budgets mm-hmm. that have now like six figures involved in them to kind of get things going. So all of a sudden you're like, that trust has to be there. And yeah. that's something that I always want to bring in to the narrative of everything we do. And it's like even talking today and being honest about, about things. And you did ask me like kind of how I was doing at the beginning of the podcast. And I was like, yeah, it's great. But actually that was probably a lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, things things around me aren't great but you tell the world that it's great and we are talking about mental health and I did talk to you before we did this recording that six weeks ago I lost one of my friends to suicide my girlfriend currently isn't currently recovering from an operation so yeah there's lots of stressful things around me but we still tell the world it's great Mm -hmm. instead of going you know what it's actually a bit hard at the moment but because of learning resilience and different things it's actually it's all right if I was in a, a weaker place with my mental health everything that was around me would be a lot harder to deal with yeah 
and saying that the passing of one of my friends was something that was really hard to deal with because I was with him a week beforehand yeah. and then I question I was questioning myself did I do enough to prevent mm. what actually happened mm. and it was only through working with um, Chasing the Stigma who are an absolute fantastic national mental health charity that we partnered with for the last four years yeah and speaking speaking to their team and speaking to people that are qualified on mental, mental health and have had lived experience you, you, you kind of put yourself in a better place and not blaming yourself and going mm. what happened happened and maybe I stopped that from happening the week before and that my friend was all may have always going to do what was going to happen yeah but we never know because it leaves those gaps and that comes back to the gain of looking after people and looking after yourself yeah that if I wasn't in a strong enough kind of place of understanding my mental health and and having the ability to know that when my cup is full so I always use the analogy of like if you have a drinking vessel and you keep putting stuff into it eventually it's going to overflow and it's not the big thing that makes it overflow it's the last drops which mm -hmm. could be something small yeah. it might be that a cat's done a toilet in the house somewhere and you've kind of gone oh I've trodden in it and that's the thing that breaks you or you forgot to get somewhere from the shops it's not it's everything else that's around you so we kind of learn those traits and learn those things and we kind of pass them on to our team as well yeah we kind of keep that open honest conversation yeah keep the integrity of what's going on everywhere so I don't think I've answered your question I've just gone off on a great <laughs> ramble about my own well-being no you have because it's the whole point of this podcast is to, is to be open and you know talk honestly about anything you know if it goes off the tangent of the question it doesn't matter because you have answered the question you've just continued on to something else and that's completely fine um and it leads perfectly into the next question anyway um which is it's a tough question this one because I don't think anyone could fully answer this question in a whole episode never mind in one question but I do like to just kind of touch on it and it's why in your opinion, is it so important to take action um, for mental health in at work and not just outside of work? Um, it's massive importance. Like we we kind of flip the work life balance phrase around as like life work balance. It's yes. kind of how we treat everything. Mm -hmm. Because mental health is like it's not just turned on and off at work or mm -hmm. on and off at home. It's a constant and um, it can, it can be kind of great and off at the top, or it can be down at the bottom and low, but you could all be plateauing as well. But we all have mental health constantly. Yes. So it's not something that disappears. So again, it's all about that consistency of being open and honest. Yeah. And again, allowing others to be open and honest. So, you know, if you're feeling down, like share it. Yeah. And it's like within, within the kind of the Mashbow kind of company ethos as well, it's like, Look, if you are feeling crap, I'm not expecting you to kind of be pushing pushing boundaries and working mm -hmm. all hours. It's like we talk about it. We we kind of often say like, go for like say it's all right. Why don't you just switch off, go for a walk, or go watch go watch a movie for a little bit? Yeah. Because we don't we don't work the Dolly Parton nine till five anymore. <laughs> it's 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 like we work when we work best. Mm -hmm. It's like we have we have a set amount of hours that we work and we work when we work best and when it's best for everybody else. So yeah. If some if something comes up, go and do it. It's like but 
from inside the company create that ability to be comfortable to communicate. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it could even be something as stupid as, I need to go to the shops because I run out of milk, so I'm going to disappear for an hour because yeah. well, we all function on a good cup of tea or a good cup of coffee. So yeah. it's, it's, again, like letting people to be grown-ups mm. and not micromanaging people. And we're quite lucky because obviously we're a small business, so we can manage that flexibility a hell of a lot easier. I was speaking to another agency owner that has a big, big team and, questioning like kind of how we all, we're working following remote now and we've got a four-day working week which allows my team a lot of flex and the ability to do whatever they want to do mm-hmm. and they were talking about how can they kind of transcend that into a bigger organization and they they feel that they can't but the same rules apply it's just going to take longer to implement but again you just have to trust every single member of your team yeah to do it and when we when we implemented the four-day working week at the beginning of this year the, the only rule was is the whole team makes it work yeah and if the whole team doesn't make it work we go back to a traditional model of five days a week um so far it's like we're all working together to, to keep it mm-hmm. because we all benefit from it so i benefit from them as being the boss and the owner and the co-founder of the business that i have a day where i'm not actually managing people yeah. It's like because they've managed themselves and it allows me to have my own time. And actually, if I want to go and do yoga or go to the gym, mm-hmm. I can do that. But I can also do that in the week as well. Yeah. Um, again, we encourage everybody else to say, like, if you want to do something, go and do Just it. Just do it. Just do it. It's the end of the day, we're, we're measured by what we deliver to our clients. And if our client complains, then we adjust to it. Yes. And so far, so good. Yeah. No complaints. <laughs> because again, we've got trust and we've got communication understanding yeah yeah and when we and when we implemented the four-day week we didn't even though i'm talking about communication we didn't tell our clients we wanted (laughs) to see if they noticed we wanted to see if they noticed noticed. yeah and they didn't nobody noticed anything different we're actually delivering the same level of work the same consistency we're hitting the deadlines that we put in and we weren't making the the project smaller we were still like heaping in all the tasks tasks that we've got to do and again, some of the staff would take onto their own hands and go, you know what, I'm doing a 10 hour day today because I'm in the flow of this and I'm going to get it all done. Yeah. And then I can test, I can then have a lion tomorrow and I can test it. And then again, again, the quality threshold goes up. The actual well-being of people is far better as well. So saying something like well-rested means your brain, brain works better, which means you solve problems better. Mm-hmm. That's it. And it's... It's all trial and error, isn't it, really? Like, when you're um, at work in particular, you're never going to know what's going to work best, but you learn over time, and it's... Yeah, t- every, 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 everything's innovation. It's like... Yeah. And it's... Some people are going to go, it's a bit derogatory word of innovation, because innovation could be, like, a small bit of change for an individual company, mm-hmm. and it's innovation for them. It's not the true kind of R&D innovation. But it's innovation, it's like process change, it's change of thinking, it's a change of working environment, yeah. it's a change of kind of the rules, it's a change of hierarchy. So the more you kind of push to change something, the better it is. Like we used to have a poster in our old office back in the days when we were we had an office where <laughs> a person achieves nothing without making a mistake. Mm. So actually by doing stuff, the likelihood is you are going to make some mistakes but you will learn something from it. 
and yeah. then you improve it. And again, that's why we put the weight of the four-day week on the whole company. It wasn't just my decision or Steve, my business partner's decision. It was everybody in the that's team. Cool. It's like, we all make it work. Um, fair play to Steve. He's used that time to become a qualified pilot. Oh, wow. He goes, he goes flying, and it's great because that's also good for his kind of well-being. That's amazing. He's created, he's created a hobby, <laughs> and it was something he was passionate about, and this allows him the time, that extra time to get the hours in the air, to get the qualifications and get the license so that he can then put her around in his little plane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. No, it's, it's a great way to do it, and, you know, I think people can – learn a lot from that and um I think one of the toughest things when addressing mental health and you know looking after people's well-being in the workplace is that there's kind of always more that we can do and it's never going to be perfectly fixed um but also one thing that I've kind of worried about when implementing well-being things into into our team is that you don't want to be patronizing or condescending and you, you want to work with each other to yeah do that and you can I the one thing I've learned is you can, I can't just say you know we'll do this because not everyone's going to enjoy that um do you think well that comes with tra- that that comes with training though doesn't it as yes. well and we we've invested in that with again I'll probably talk about Chasing Sigma quite a lot because it's a it's a client friends project that's close to my heart and yeah I've seen them blossom but we invested into their ambassadors of hope training which trained us about communication and and spotting things in people but also not avoiding conversations mm-hmm. uh, and that was such a great thing that they put in place and it's something that they do nationally now yeah. and they work with like say multinational businesses they work with SME they work with startups they work with clusters they do groups but that training just starts the conversation starts the openness yeah it's like and when we did it it's like all of a sudden I just told my whole team of everything that was weighing on my shoulders and also it was like, oh, right. The boss needs a hug. The boss <laughs> needs to be asked if he's all right as well. Yeah. And you forget that as well as like as an employee, you don't think of the stress mm-hmm. the the founder's under or the owner's under or your manager's under yeah. or even the person you sit next to because we, we all go into our little silo. And especially if we're, if we're struggling, it's like our problems are the biggest problems, but our problem is kind of halved by sharing and having that conversation but having those that toolkit and having that ability to have those conversations was an amazing amazing thing that chasing the stigma did for us because they taught us about different things and as i touched on earlier when when i lost my friend i spoke to them and they took me out of my hole they mm-hmm. were like kind of right we you need to think about this differently and it's like and you and your other friends will need to have conversations about what's going on and what's happened and your grieving process will be different because of what's actually happened but again having having that toolkit of what chasing sigma put in place just helps and then having them as friends and a resource to just have that conversation and understand their lived experience you're just going to go okay right there's a little bit of peace of mind in place that's going to allow me to carry on today yeah. and do my job as a leader of a company, even though something really bad has happened. And yeah, I did take time out and I was, I was a different person whilst I was processing it. And, but that's okay. 
And again, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, like all these things. It's okay to cry. It's okay to kind of feel worried. It's okay to reach out for help. It's okay to go to therapy. It's okay if you need to take medication. Everything's okay. And again, <laughs> you you just you destigmatize it. Yeah. And you make that that comfortable environment so that that if somebody is struggling, they can talk about it. Yeah. And also you can give them space as well if needed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you just you've put it so well. And I think obviously you wanted to talk about a lot about chasing the stigma. Um so we can kind of go lead into that now. So kind of this is a platform or it's a website, right? Or is it an, is it an yeah, app? Yeah, so well? Chase, 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 Chase the Stigma is the charity that is behind the platform called The Hub of Hope. That's it, yeah. And The Hub of Hope is the UK's largest database of mental health services in the whole of the UK now. Mm-hmm. And this came about from Chase the Stigma's founder, Jake Mills, coming into my office through an introduction through a guy called Chris Clark, who was one of the leads for everything in the community at the time. Yeah. And just goes... I've got this guy, he's got this idea. He just needs somebody to listen to him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's cool. I was like, let's organize a meeting. And Jake came to my office like four years ago, told me his idea, and I got it straight away. I got yeah. what he was trying to achieve. Um, I got the value of it as well, not just yeah. the mechanical, but the value of why it should exist. Because he'd gone through a lived experience himself. And he talked about it opening on Twitter and people started coming to him saying, where do I go for help? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm not a signpost at all. I'm yeah. not a resource, but maybe there should be one. And yeah. that conversation with him sparked something. And we kind of, we kind of spec'd up an MVP, a minimum viable product. It was like the smallest version of what this product could be. Yeah. And it was still quite an expensive thing to build. But we just challenged him to say, right, can you raise some of the money towards it? Mm-hmm. And we'll contribute the rest to get it going. Because I love the idea and listening to kind of things from family members and things that happened around me in the past. I was like, I get why this thing should exist. Mm-hmm. And if you fast forward that four years, we've got this app now, which is in uh, both the app stores and it's also available as a web app as hubofhope.co.uk. Yeah which has also now been endorsed by the NHS. We've got the NHS trust signpost into it. Mm-hmm. The charity has done phenomenal work and has now got partnerships with Network Rail. So Network Rail have paid for national TV campaigns for this product. Oh, wow. Um, because it's all-inclusive and it's not just, here's the Samaritans. Yeah. It's like, if we do have quick signposting to the Samaritans, that's what it needs to talk straight away. Mm-hmm. But it has local things in there. So it doesn't matter where you are. It's like, you could be in Newcastle, you could be in Bristol. We will have mental health services that are there to help help you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a big thing of where it's gone that we've probably got now three and a half thousand services throughout the whole UK on there. And wow. with that, we're, we're probably helping between 30 to 50,000 people every month to Amazing. find these services so you've got to see the value of the products and what we've done and it's it's why we kind of win recognition for it and winning like national awards which is great but actually just saving one person's life is is much more valuable than anything yeah. else that we've ever done and i always remember when we first created the app there was a guy that lived in the Wirral 
that became aware from it from the Mental Health Mondays show that used to be on City Talk. And he actually used that, the app to find a service that was based around the corner from where he lives. And he would never have known that that existed. Wow. Without using the Hub of Hope. Yeah. So, again, so the thing that was Jake's vision and the Mashbow team articulating that vision and creating the piece of tech technology and then reiterating it and then reiterating it again as, as allowing us to help, like saying, thousands and thousands of people now. And it's great when you hear like GPs talking about, oh, I use that app with my patients. Oh, I use this with such and such, buddy. You just go, we created that. It's like, we created that from an idea from somebody that came in and normally the software development company was like, you've got no money. We're not going to do that. To go, mm-hmm. you know what, this is going to serve a massive purpose and comes back to the ethos of how we work with inside Mashbo of what's the actual purpose or can we educate the clients along the way? We did yeah. both with this project and we feed the knowledge that we've got from the hub of O into our other projects. So the things that we've learned from there help us to build uh, other projects better and also educate other businesses about the mental health impacts of what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I didn't, I didn't think I realized how successful it was. Like, obviously I knew that it was, it was huge and it was um, obviously an amazing charity and it was doing all these amazing things. And I've, I've probably not realized that I've come across it at some point um, mm-hmm. in my, in my own research into mental health and, you know, looking into resources and stuff, I've probably come across it and not realized. Um, yeah. And that's what's so amazing about something like this is that you'll sometimes you'll never know who's been affected by it, but it it, it could have it, well it will have saved so many lives. Um, it will and, with it, without and people have, realizing. And we're like from the tech providers, well, we're we're anonymizing everything as well, so we're yeah. not tracking people, so people aren't like getting this footprint of they've been on the app. Mm-hmm. It's like mental health things aren't appearing in their Instagram feed or whatever. Yeah. It's like we know the numbers of people and the rough geographical area and the demographic of the person, but we're not sharing that with anybody. And we're certainly not asking people to put their personal details in there. Yeah. Because of the integrity integrity of the product, which is why it works so well. Yeah. And that's why it's it's growing and we're looking at different ways of how we can evolve it. It's like how can we have this product so that it's more user friendly to younger people. Absolutely. Because there's a there's a bigger need now for younger people to reach out. Yeah. And they're not going to ask their parents or their guardians or grandparents. They are they are good, but they will reach they're out to their online. device. Yeah. And again, we've got to look at how we do that. We also look at how how that's going to be funded. So obviously, mm-hmm. if there's any kind of generous people out there that want to donate to Chasing the Stigma, um, they they will very gratefully take a donation. Yeah. Because we have to remember it's a charity. Yeah, it's a charity that is operating like a business through the mental health training, which allows to fund the outreach then for more technical development. It's like Mashbo still contributes stuff at a very discounted rate, but we can't do it for free because it's so big now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the things that we're achieving collectively are phenomenal, and it's, it's it is always like saying I'm always like super proud to represent the charity. Yeah. and work with the charity because I've been there from the beginning mm-hmm. and it's just growing and growing and it was great that they won a responsible business award a couple of weeks ago 
and I was at the awards dinner to pick up the trophy. Oh. Um, it's my most liked thing on Instagram, not Instagram, on LinkedIn this year. <laughs> and it's like, and everything, congratulations. No, it's not me. This is the charity. It's the charity. But yeah. It generates more awareness. Yeah. It generates people going, what's chasing the signal? What's the hub of hope? And again, the more and more we do that, it's like, it's sad that obviously we've got like kind of 20 odd, 30 odd, 50 odd thousand people using it because they need the help. Yeah. But at least that tool is there. And yeah. again, it needs to grow, it needs to be continually funded. And the team at the charity, especially Jake, who's the founder, are coming up with like ways of how they commercialize what they're doing mm-hmm. to continue this, this support. And instead of being a, a kind of tin rattling charity, they're, they're being a business charity and trying to become self-sufficient through commercial activity, mm-hmm. which is why the Ambassador Hope training is so important to them. It's why I'd highly recommend anybody that listens to this to to investigate it and to speak to them yeah because the benefit of doing that obviously helps the charity but the internal benefit to your team will change the way that they communicate with each other yeah absolutely it's it's so needed and um obviously chasing the stigma um is aimed at tackling um the stigma generally for mental health problems in everyone um I did want to talk kind of specifically as we've just come out of November or Movember <laughs> about um, the kind of disproportionate impact the stigma can have on men in particular and the societal expectations, traditional gender roles that tend to be a big part in that. Um, kind of what is your perspective on changing the societal concepts of masculinity in relation to mental health that's like a hard thing to solve but if you kind of look at it on an individual basis it's like you you look at what's happened during the pandemic has taught us all to talk a bit differently it has Mm -hmm. taught us to be probably a little bit more honest and you've got to go through the the different stages of that and it's a slow, it's a slow progression, progression of like what we're doing, but you will find that a younger generation is more comfortable to talk openly about mm-hmm. how they're feeling. The danger of what you've got to there is, is like that they don't dilute, yeah, emotions and mental well-being and dropping phrases in where it's out of context. But we've still got to respect that they're talking. So. It's how you get that honesty and that continued conversation, but it's how you get the 40 odd year olds like myself being more open. As yeah. I, I think probably I'm quite lucky that I, I learned and got taught that mm-hmm. bit early on, in, early on in my life, which again comes part of our resilience. But you've got that traditional men's men as like, who was probably stealthily opening up about had their well-being in the pub chatting to their mates and talking yeah. about football and when the pandemic arrived that was taken away yeah which is which is why we do have a bigger problem right now mm-hmm. because we're only just getting that back and people are still cautious of being open and honest um i don't i don't know how you would you really really change it it's like you've just got to keep encouraging it you've yeah You've got you've got to be kind of like kind of obviously phrases like man up are really out the window now and in the bin, which is great. Yeah. But a great trick that I was taught was when you talk to your mates and you go, Are you all right? And they go, Yeah. 
But when you ask them again, yeah, you get the detail. So, and that's not, that's that's for every human being, not just for men. It's like always double ask the well being questions. Yeah, yeah, double ask, double ask, triple ask, because yeah. you get more. You yeah. get more as as you go through it. And I, I was talking about this a lot during during the lockdown when I was going on my walk and talk meetings with my friends who live around here, who mm-hmm. run businesses, and we were all like, "Yeah, it's fine. It's great being at home, isn't it?" It's like, is it actually great being in at home? In reality, some of it's great, but because we're missing that interaction, you're missing that 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 feed from people because you will notice it if you're around somebody that is positive and buzzing and kind of doing good things you will pick up a bit of that radiation yeah you 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 will then magnify that and you'll have a bit of a, a ready back glow in your step mm-hmm. and that was taken away from us it's still kind of taken away from us because we're not socializing properly we're still not doing the things that we used to do yeah we're not getting together as much as we want to but when you do it it's like kind of how do you take that home and share it with your friends and family mm-hmm. and I noticed that that when I have three or four days of not leaving the house and working I just feel a little dip yeah even if I'm doing like little things of like going to the gym or doing yoga stuff, I have that little dip because I've not picked up the energy from somebody somewhere else mm-hmm. I've not had that spark and again that might be kind of the creative side of my brain the kind of dyslexic side of my brain that needs that yeah but I'm going to assume that we all need that that you look at like when when we met in the real world a few months ago it was a great conversation and just like you know you know what I'm really I'm going to be looking forward to doing this podcast I'm going to look forward to have this conversation even though it's a subject that is a hard subject I was excited by by having a conversation with somebody that I don't normally have conversations with which is why as business people it's why certain networking events are good you can't just go to the ones with all the canopy hunters and people just wanting a free drink but if you've got that group of quality people together there's something different happens and you mentioned creative kitchen at the beginning of the conversation uh, a couple of years ago we did some events called no burgers no bullshit (laughs) and what we did is basically we hired a private table in a nice restaurant Mm -hmm. where there was no but there was no burgers on the menu and there was no bullshit on the conversation it was around the table and we all kind of promised to keep the conversation happening on the table at the table and mm-hmm. um, again the energy that comes from that is like you don't necessarily need to share what you've just heard from somebody kind of struggling with something but the buzz from their solution of how they got around it you go you know what i'm going to look at that and mash it's like how can i change that one thing because i don't think that thing's broken but how can i change something and we can't do that over zoom yeah we could do it for a little bit over zoom but we can't we can't be open yeah it's quite easy to get it's quite easy to get distracted yeah so when you're in a room with people it's it's so different and since we've been set free I've been quite picky and choosy about the things that I go to because I'm thinking about not what the opportunity is for Mashpo in the room mm-hmm. but what the opportunity is for an interesting conversation yeah and where I can learn learn something so all of a sudden I've been like going to lots of events which are about kind of environmental social governance mm-hmm. so ESG reporting which is going to become massive in the business world 
but the intelligence of these people in this room supersedes me. But the things that I pick up from it and can share with my kind of clients and my network and my team, you just kind of go, I'm so glad I went and spent that two hours in that room with those people. Yeah. Um, I wasn't there for a free bacon sandwich or a free glass of wine or a free canopy, which which is what we all used to do at the beginning of when we started our businesses. Is like we go to every networking event under the sun, and then you get frustrated because you've got no work until so you learn and go. You don't go to those things to get work. You go to those yeah. things to make mates. Yeah, that's the whole thing. And I think as well, one thing I've learned um, since coming out of the many lockdowns is saying no more. And <laughs> it's kind of contradictory to what I thought I would be saying. Like I thought I'd be saying yes to a lot more stuff, but I've actually been saying no to a lot more stuff, but in the right way. So like, if I know that I'm going to be going somewhere where it's going to be draining or it's going to be not going to be good for my mental health, or I know that it's not going to be a quality time for me or the people there I just say no and so far <laughs> I haven't had any negative effects from that um but I I thought I'd be saying yes to a lot more I thought I'd be wanting to just like do it do so much more and do everything I can and take every opportunity that I can which in a way I still do but I learn no I now have learned when to stop if that makes sense. Which yeah, that, that's really massively important. It's massively important. And no is such a powerful word. Yeah. Um, it's like, have you ever read The Chimp Paradox, where it talks about your natural instinct is to say yes to stuff? I have the book, uh, but I've not read it. <laughs> it's like, we all do it. We all say yeah, and then go, oh, why did I say yes to going to that? And then yeah. you think of, like, what excuse can I give? And then you, you build on your own anxiety. It's like, I hate social functions, even though I act like an extrovert, I'm an introvert. Yeah. And I had to learn, I had to learn that as the leader of a company and to go out there. And I used to always say to be the show, to go there, represent, be in a room and do different things. And then I learned a little trick and that was about having a uniform to wear, <laughs> which is why I used to always wear red and white stripy t-shirts. So yeah. I'd be in the room looking like where's Wally? <laughs> but people would always know that I was in the room and they would know, oh, there's the guy from Mashbow or there's the knobhead from Mashbow, depending on how you want to see me. But <laughs> it's, it got people remembering me. And yeah. it's like kind of awesome. It's like Mashbow, 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 Mashbow. But that also allowed me to put on the clown mask a mm -hmm. little bit. The kind of, to go out and go, right, I know that I'm going to be in this public space for the next three hours. And afterwards, I am going to be mentally and physically exhausted. Yeah. I learned I learned quite quickly not to overly drink at these things because when I first started, I went and got trashed because I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. I was really uncomfortable. I was like, I still am. I hate going out into those strange environments with strange groups yeah. of people. Anxiety level goes through the roof. And I was like, I don't want to be here. It's like, actually, kind of, shall I just say I've got a bad stomach? Shall I do whatever to get out of it? Is like you turn up and then you look at the quickest possible way out. Whereas actually you've got to look at what's the best opportunity for a great conversation. Yeah. Where 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 can I where can I where can I learn from wherever I am? And even recently I went to a friend's wedding and at first you're just like, don't want to be here, don't want to be here. Even though it's two of my friends getting married yeah. and it's like a joyous occasion. You look at those steps of 
oh, I'll just go to the room for a little bit and have a sit down. It's like, I don't want to engage people. He's like, kind of, no, it's like, you have to hone your social skills. And the biggest social skill that you learn is just learn to listen. Yeah. Listen to what's going on around you. And then you go, this is my point where I've got great knowledge and I've got an opinion on something. Now I'll join the conversation. There you go. And it's, it's not being rude. It's like, you're just slower to be engaged into it. Yeah. And then next minute, the, the evening is gone and you've had a great time. Mm-hmm. But it's that beginning bit, that, that, that beginning bit where things are like you put every worst scenario in your head yeah it's it's like it's like the beginning of like kind of when you're single and you you like kind of like nobody ever wants to go out with me and then you meet somebody like you you learn why somebody loves you Mm -hmm. and it's like they love you because it's you not because of the act that you're playing and it's again it's about being comfortable with that and we all have our kind of quirks our quirks are what make us who we are it's it's then embracing that yeah and I think as well um self-compassion is a big thing in that when we're talking about you know um you know realizing what our quirks are and and um using that as as our strengths and Mm -hmm. I think that kind of the general phrase of the general term self-compassion I've been trying to learn a lot more about because I think it's the center of of social social situations <laughs> I'm still learning over yeah. words now but it's it's one thing that I think a lot of things can start from just being a lot more self-aware being more mindful of where you are in situations and I don't know if I'm saying that in a good, good no, way it, but it, 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 yeah you do it's like you're saying you've got that self-respect and it's like yeah for years I, I used to always beat myself up and think I was like in my head I was a failure yeah constantly always a failure mm-hmm. still have it still have it even yeah. though like you like you win a new contract you deliver the contract kind of happy oh I'm, fa- I'm a failure and that's some that, that kind of stems back to my my relationship with education when I was younger that I left school with no qualifications mm. not because I'm thick or stupid it's because it was the wrong learning environment yeah I've like then subsequently gone on to college and then to university and got my degree and so on I was like I just learned differently and then joined like university going on that work placement working with Paul Oakenfold somebody that was like a global superstar earning millions of pounds and playing records in front of people and at the time I was a wannabe DJ that couldn't mix and we launched our project at Cream at the nightclub in Liverpool Oh, wow. live on the live on the internet during the time when live streaming wasn't really a thing yeah. and at the time we had the world record for the most watched live event on the internet wow and Paul Oakenfold Paul turned around to me and goes in the DJ box thousand people looking on me do you want to mix the next record what do you think I did <sighs> I bottled it I absolutely bottled it yeah. shit my pants and went no because I'll clear the dance floor galloping horses <laughs> and I always regret that because yeah. I'm never going to have that opportunity to do that again so you know how you were talking about we we're talking about the no it's sometimes getting past that fear but just taking yeah. that moment to stop and then make your answer yeah so a similar scenario came to me when I was working with the, the company I worked for after I graduated 
and we designed the website for Everton Football Club mm-hmm. at the time and a few other Premier League football clubs and we'd sponsor the game at the time and we were in the director's lounge and one of the communications team who we were working with just came into the where, where we were having our dinner and goes have you had a drink yet and I was like no I was like why he goes can you play in goal I was like yeah not really and it was like right well the goalkeeper for the half-time penalty shootout hasn't turned up and we need someone to go and goal oh my word do you want to do it and again i i stopped and then went yes and then he was like okay cool right what size what size shoes are you like 11s and they were like oh the only boots that are going to fit you are duncan ferguson's boots uh, but it's all right. He's not here. He's not playing today. Oh my word! So they were like, they gave me Duncan Ferguson's books. I was supposed to have never told anybody about this, uh, but I do. And <laughs> they they got me a kit, and he said, like, half an hour of the game, somebody comes to the director's box. You're going to go to the referee's changing room, get changed, and you're going to do the penalty shootout competition at half time. And I saved half the penalties. So. <laughs> uh, from from that, I got invited back twice to do it again. Oh my word! So, so but but from that, I was like, "Well, I can I have some tickets so my dad can come yeah. to Liverpool and watch it? Like, <laughs> can my mates come?" And they were like, "Yeah, it's not a problem." Sure. But but being in that tunnel with those like elite athletes, yeah, and it makes you understand that they're human beings. Mm-hmm. So it was around the time that Thierry Henry played for Arsenal, and one of the games was against Arsenal. So all of a sudden. I'm standing next to Thierry Henry, just like, all right, how you doing? <laughs> and he's just like, whoa, you're a global superstar. It's like kind of one of the best footballers in the world right now. And you're chatting to me. That's crazy. But again, it's opportunistic that happened. Yeah. And it was an opportunity that happened that I could have just panicked and said no. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I learned that from that Paul Oakenfold thing of, not saying no or yes straight away, but putting that that pause in place, putting yeah. that thinking time. And it's like none of my mates are ever going to have this experience. Mm-hmm. Am I ever going to have this experience again? And it's like saying it's like if I'd have taken that record from Paul Oakenfall, I kind of know that he would have been in the background making sure that I mixed it properly. Yeah. Like now it's like because he wouldn't want to clear the dance floor. He wouldn't want that, especially as it was being broadcast on the internet when streaming wasn't what it was and thousands and thousands of pounds have been put into this event to make mm-hmm. it happen. But that pause helps, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, because it is like saying, not saying yes straight away, not saying no straight away. We say yes too often quickly, but we can also like shit ourselves and say no too quickly. Yeah. So you have to look at that. And I kind of do that as well when I'm assessing who we work with. Yes. So we don't just say yes to every client that comes to us. Um, we have one client at the moment that works in the world of debt collection, which doesn't sit great next to our mental health work. No. <laughs> but we didn't say yes or no to it straight away. We stopped and then we had conversations uh-huh. and we were like, hold on a minute, we can actually change the way that this works. Mm-hmm. And there's things in our client systems now that make their field agents aware of people's mental health. And it's not it's like these guys work with the big utility companies. So it's not 
kind of seedy but it's like what can we do to educate them and where can we make a difference and at the end of the day their customers are still going to have a debt but how do you treat them you treat them like human beings and you bring that learning and what we've done with chasing the stigma to kind of highlight vulnerabilities so in their system it's like is there a possibility of vulnerability are there children involved it's like saying if we if something happens here is somebody going to go cold is somebody not going to be able to cook their food so you learn from these things and that kind of the joy and empowerment of teaching that and changing something that is like not too hot it's like mm-hmm. kind of seems a bit seedy it's actually really good yeah it's like you kind of you kind of almost feel like we should get a contract with the, the government to just change the way that they think and like think about people and the impacts of what they do yeah gosh it's just <laughs> I love when um I do episodes and you know obviously we've only met once before but you kind of think you have a general idea of how, who a person is and then they bring up a story like that and you're just like it's it's crazy how people can have these mad experiences <laughs> I don't know but yeah. um as much as I would love to hear more of your stories I think we can we can round up with um the kind of last question and I always ask each guest if they have any recommendations um for a book or a documentary or like an article anything like that a podcast literally anything that is either to do yeah. with what we've talked about today or kind of just general mental health and well-being that they think more people should know about okay well a big thing that I always kind of feel that helps with your mental health is actually saying it's been nice and like if you can help other people they will help you which yeah. then puts you in a better place so there's an amazing book called the go-giver by okay. a guy called bob by a guy called bob berg and it's all about sales and it's all <laughs> about it's all about a guy that's struggling to hit his sales target yeah and an opportunity an opportunity comes to him that if he takes it he hits his sales target but the opportunity is wrong for the company he works for. They would do it, but they wouldn't make any profit and it would be a horrible job for them. Mm -hmm. And to spoil the book, he actually passes this opportunity to one of their biggest competitors who is is better suited to deliver deliver the work. What happens is that competitor started feeding this guy loads of referrals for the right types of work of what his company is doing. And he became the best salesperson the following quarter and then oh. on and then on yeah so it's all about saying giving stuff mm-hmm. and not necessarily expecting something in return yeah it's like saying it's like you could give your time and you don't necessarily want something back from it we could use that with chasing the stigma we gave a hell of a lot of time at the beginning of that project not for kind of financial return or just to do something because of the way we've gone through some of the funding with this they've been one of our biggest paying clients last year mm-hmm when we were coming out of COVID because of the thing that we had to do to adapt to the NHS and the funding that we got for it. But we never intended that. We just gave the time because we thought it was right. And it is always like looking at something and going, you know what, this isn't right for Gavin or Mashbo, but it could be right for you. Mm -hmm. And you just give it. Yeah. So that that book, book, it's really good because it, because sales is a dirty word in business, but it's the most important part of a business. Yeah. It's like, if you don't sell, you don't have a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you have to understand that. So I think that I think that's my kind of takeaway of like be a go giver. Yeah. Like give something back and something yeah. will come back to you in return. It might not be what you're expecting, but something will come to you. So yeah. be a go giver and pause. <laughs> no, that's a cool way to finish it. Thank you. Um but yeah, thank you so much for your time. And I've I've had a great time chatting to you. So um I'm sure we will I'll see you again sometime soon. Um and yeah, just thank you. Thank you very much for your time and your knowledge and your experiences. My pleasure, my pleasure.